we ask for you to embody this worship, for you to direct my words, to uh, let whatever is Jason fall away and whatever is of you stick. We think about the week coming up and Tuesday in the election, and we ask that your will be done in this election. Whatever the outcome, we pray that we would look beyond this to you, to what you are doing in the world, what you are doing in our country, what you're doing in our neighborhoods. We do ask that you would pick and choose the right people to be in the right places to lead our country, and we pray for their hearts and their their minds as they do that. We pray for safety. We pray for uh, peace in this nation. We ask for that. And we also know that you may choose to do things that we don't understand. So we pray for us, the people of faith, to be cur- have courage in our faith, to know that hope is here. Hope is always here through you that you are the God of peace, that you are the God of joy, like Romans 15, 13 tells us, that the God of hope will fill us with joy and peace as we trust in you. So we place our trust in you and not in our electoral process. We place our trust in you and not in people. We place our trust in you and what you're doing in the world, and we ask that you would give, give us eyes of faith to see that. And we submit ourselves to you this morning. We ask that you would guide and direct our hearts, that you would convict us in our wrong thinking, that you would bring humility to your people and great courage and great faith to your people as we seek to do your will in this community and in this world. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, we've been doing some unorthodox sermons the last couple weeks, and this is the last one, so you can relax after this week, maybe. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But today we're going to talk about our third circle in the three circles model, and that is the gospel, right, which allows us to recover and to pursue uh, God's design for our lives that we've been talking about, and also to help others do the same, right? So we're going to take a few minutes right now, and if you haven't been here before this Sunday, you can just certainly do this on your own. But we're going to take a few minutes right now and pray for those that you know in your life around you that are far from the Lord. Those that you've maybe been praying for on your 3 by 5 card. You remember I asked you to fill out a list of names of people on a 3 by 5 card. I've got my list right here. Uh, I keep it in my pocket. Uh, when I'm driving, I put it on my dashboard so I can pray for them. I prayed for seven hours home <laughs> yesterday. And that, those people were definitely in that time. Um, but I've been asking you to do this for the last three weeks, and I would like you to keep doing that. Uh, maybe those, that list on there has the three people that you're going to invite to Alpha. I hope that it does. Um, and maybe other people will come to mind as well today. But feel free to, in the next few moments after I open this up, to wander the room and pray if you like, or get on your knees and pray, or just sit in your seat and pray by yourself, or grab somebody and pray with them if you'd like. Uh, It might be silent in here. You might hear some people muttering, whatever. But right now, I want us to pray that God will draw these people that we know to Christ, right? That, That he would give us this boldness, this courage 
to actually share the gospel, to turn everyday conversations that we have with the people around us into gospel conversations with them. So I'm going to open us up, and I'm going to give you a few moments after that to pray, and then I will also close us so you'll know when it starts and stops. So let me open us up. Lord Jesus, we, we usher these, these names, we bring these names like sort of in a, a, a bowl of worship to your throne room. And we place them at your feet. These are people that we know, that we love. Maybe we like them, maybe we dislike them, whatever. But we, pray, we play, place them at your feet. And we ask that you would take these names and that you would shape and form their thoughts that you would be drawing them to yourself. And we ask that you would hear your people right now as we all pray as one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we know that you are a good God, that you did not come to condemn, but you came to save. That these people that are maybe in our pockets on a card or in our dashboards or on our fridge at home, or maybe just new people that have come to mind this morning, we ask that you would take them by the hand, stand them up, Grab them by their cheeks and make them to look in your face. Let them understand who they are before a holy God. Give them that blessing of being joyously convicted in their sin. To face it and to turn from it and turn towards you. We ask, Father God, this year in, in the front of us would be a year that we see people around us come to faith. We go back to that first time we met you, that first time that you called us out of darkness, that you woke us up, you breathed spiritual life back into us from the dead. And we ask for these people to have that same experience and to join in with the family of God who worships the only one true God in this universe. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, we're learning this conversational, you know, sort of relational way to carry out uh, Jesus' mission. Math Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as you know, as we go about our daily lives, right? Um, the first week, we talked about God's design for our lives, which is evident from the very beginning of Scripture, Right? We reviewed how God created everything and that he said it was all good, that we were very good, um, that mankind was the pinnacle of creation, right? And that we were made for relationship with God. All of humanity was made for relationship with God and also made for each other, relationship with each other. And healthy relationship, not what we see out in the world today, right? God's design for us was to walk and talk with him just like Adam and Eve once did. So 
we do know that Adam and Eve departed from God's design. They made that choice. They wanted to do it their way instead of God's way. And the Bible calls this sin, and it tells us that we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of God's perfect design for our lives. That's Romans 3.23. And that sin, that sin leads us into brokenness. And we see that across the board in our world today. And we also experience it in our own lives. And we all know how that feels, right? We, we know that it, it, it's seen in broken relationships, it's seen in addictions, depression, discouragement, fear, uh, guilt, shame, things like that. Everybody wants out of their brokenness, and so we try to fix it, don't we? And that's all the squiggly lines in our, in our second circle when you see it later, but we medicate it with drugs, and we, we numb it with alcohol, or, or we strive to be better people, hoping that somehow, some way, our good will outweigh our bad, and we look for ways to alleviate our pain, and uh, when we do that, we know that we just get more and more brokenness, right? And brokenness feels like a bad thing, but it's actually a good thing, because it's the way that God gets people's attention, isn't it? I felt it when I first came to Christ. And when we feel broken on the inside and everything's sort of a mess, we, we are aware then that something needs to change in us. And this is where we get some really good news. And the good news is that God made a way out of our brokenness. We've been saying this for three weeks, and I, I know it's redundant. And I want to point out that Martin Luther once preached a sermon for three straight weeks because he told his congregation, you're not getting it. So he preached this, the exact same sermon three straight weeks. This is not the exact same sermon, but I am harping on the same thing for a very good reason. I want us to get this, right? God has made a way out of our brokenness. He has promised that a man would come to crush the enemy's head, as we see in Genesis 3.15. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Then in Genesis 3.21, God did something unique. He sacrificed an animal. He shed its blood to make coverings for Adam and Eve, if you remember that. It's not something we typically read when we talk about these things. But it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, uh, Adam and his wife, and clothed them. Right? Now this is, as we've been saying in the past, the Proto-Evangelium, right? It's, it's the first announcement of the gospel in the Scriptures, right from the very beginning. It's an announcement of the coming of Christ, as we study the scriptures, we see this. It's a foreshadowing of his blood sacrifice, which will cover our shame and take us out of brokenness. So God loves us. He sent his one and only son to shed his blood to cover sin once and for all, as we see stated in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would, shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? We all know that verse. They show it at the end, the end zone in football games. But we see this also in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 14, where it, Im it images the sacrifice God modeled in Genesis 3.21 to cover our shame. It says there, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the, the body of Jesus, Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Right? It was all foreshadowing. 
But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, referring to Christ, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he is made perfect for ever those who are being made holy. Right? So all those sacrifices, you know, all throughout the Old Testament were an image of what Christ would do in perfection. Right? So uh, he's a lamb without blemish. He is perfect. And that lamb in the Old Testament was to be brought and sacrificed at the altar of God and its blood sprinkled across the altar, symbolizing Christ's blood paying for our sin and covering us in his righteousness. It was modeled in Passover as the angel of death passed through Egypt and the firstborn of every living thing, human and animal alike, would, would, would die. Right, But you remember, and we have a little thing back here that symbolizes that, the Israelites painted the blood of a sacrificed lamb on their doorposts. And they were able to see the angel of death pass over their home, and no harm came to their home. The firstborn did not die there, in other words. The Bible is replete with this imagery of the sacrifice of Christ to teach us what God has done on our behalf. This is the message. This is the story of Christ, right? The gospel is simply, Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, and God raised him from the dead, as stated in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And believe me, that message is being attacked left and right in American Christianity right now. The gospel is simple. Keep the purity of it, all right? Verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures, right? So this story is from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible. This is the story. This is God's history, right? And we know that sin is such an affront to a holy God that it must be paid for in death. And if Christ had not lived a perfect, sinful life, his death would be powerless. Paul said that, right? But he did. He did live that perfect, sinless life. And this is a true story. And if you want uh, books to read to, to, to bolster your, your understanding and your argument of that, I will give you a whole list of them, right? If Christ had not risen from the grave, breaking the power of death, then our faith is in vain. Paul said that. But he did. He did rise from the grave. Again, if you need to research this more, I can give it to you. And this is the good news. This is the good news. That the gospel saves us from our sins. As Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Many people, many Christians these days are living in shame of the gospel. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, right? All anyone need in Christianity, this is our message, all we need to do 
is repent and believe the gospel. As Mark 1.15 tells us, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, right? <clears throat> and we know that repent simply means to turn from our sins and turn towards Jesus, right? That, and and you know, I would add that contrary to popular thinking, God does not condemn us, right? He is not some angry, you know, old bearded man in the sky, hell-bent on destruction. By the way, what do you think? I'm growing it out. No shave November, baby. And December and January. But anyway, but we are already self-condemned because of Genesis 3. We made that choice. But God wants to save us, and we see that from the very beginning, right? He's a loving God enduring scorn and pride from his own creation in order to save them, right? That's the story of God. He has made it simple. He has done the heavy lifting. All we do is repent and believe. Amen to that, right? Amen to that. We see this in John chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I did a painting once, and I think I brought it here once. I can't remember. Big square painting with barbed wire all over it, and it's got this like twisted red figure. But he's in a corner, and he is flooded with light. And that was the picture of my salvation, God exposing my sin, just flooding it with light. And, and that big, muscular, powerful, monstrous thing was cowering in the corner, naked and afraid, because that's what sin really is, and that's where we need to get to with people. So there's a choice, life in Christ, death in our sin. L live in darkness or live in light. The choice is before people, but they cannot have the choice if they don't hear, right? The good news is that in Christ, God helps us recover and pursue our design, His design for our lives, right? He removes that heart of stone, and He gives us a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26, God said, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen, right? He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. There is no pride in us when we come to Christ. We are humbled. And now in Christ, Christ's Spirit, His Spirit dwell, indwells us. He empowers us. He restores us to the way that we were supposed to be. He reconciles us. He repairs what was broken in us. So we have been made righteous and we are being made holy. Do we do this perfectly? Absolutely not. I'm a jerk sometimes. Believe it or not, I am a jerk sometimes. We're all jerks sometimes, right? We don't do it perfectly. Neither do we claim to do it perfectly. We are being made holy, and that is honesty, right? That is clear honesty. This is outlined in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry of reconciliation? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, right? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed us to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do you see yourself as an ambassador of Christ? You need to. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's no pride in our righteousness because we know in ourselves we, all we have this, is this faulty self-righteousness. But God covers us with Christ's righteousness, his perfect record. It's all his doing, not mine, Right? We are new creations. We are God's ambassadors to a broken world. And the gospel is this thread running all throughout Scripture. You cannot get away from it. There are 66 books in the Bible, but it is absolutely one story. It is absolutely one story. We did a whole series on that a couple years ago, or maybe last year, I forget. But just one story running all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. The story of God reconciling people from every ethnic group on this earth uh, uh, through Christ, you know, only through Christ, using his people, blessing us to be a blessing, to bring his message along to others, right, as we go throughout life. He pursues people even when they have turned their backs on him, even when they have spit in his face, even when they have crucified him. He pursues them, doesn't he? So, like last week and the week before, I want to go again through this three circles diagram to prepare ourselves to share with Christ with others. Because what we have learned is that although many of us have been at church for so many years, if, you asked, if I asked you, how do you share the gospel, you'd say, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know where to go. I don't know, I don't know exactly what to say. Well, this is, I'm teaching you a very simple model, right? So, firstly... We tell people that God does have a design for their lives. I think that's good news for people, right? Design for our families, our marriages, our money, our sex life, our work life, just plain life. You know, we have a purpose in Christ. That God designed us to be in relationship with Him, to walk with Him, and that is the first circle that you would draw for your listener. But we have all departed from that design, haven't we? Which the Bible we term sin, because the Bible terms sin. We are born with a sinful nature. We are born into it. It comes very naturally to us. There's not one person on this earth except for Christ that ever got it right, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means we've all fallen short of his perfect design, and that is the arrow that you would draw next. You can hopefully see that on the screen there. Then we draw this another circle explaining that this sin leaves us in brokenness, right? Brokenness is easy to, for, us, for all of us to understand. Everybody understands it. No matter how confident they look, they know brokenness. Everybody does, right? And it comes in the form of broken relationships and addictions and depression and discouragement and guilt and shame and all these different things. And we all want, all want out of our brokenness, so we try to fix it. And that's the squiggly lines coming out of our circle there. 
And uh, we medicate it, we numb it with, this, with various ways, you know, in life. And we typically end up going one of two ways, or somewhere in between maybe. But we, we become either licentious or legalistic. Licentious is probably a word you know, you know, not many people use. But some of us, it just simply means that some of us give up and we give in to the degradation. We just live for ourselves, we do whatever we want, we... You know, we party, we, we, whatever we do, right? We just live in licentiousness. It's just free, right? While others strive to be better people, right? We just, we hope that somehow, someway, our good is going to outweigh our bad, and we try to make ourselves to be right, right with others, right, right with God, maybe. And that is becoming self-righteous. And then that person eventually begins to look down on others with disdain when they don't measure up to their own standards. And that is legalism. So licentiousness or legalism. But suffice it to say, we all look for ways to alleviate our pain either through being bad or being really good. But in doing that, even in doing good, we end up just getting more and more broken. You ever noticed how even good causes become damaging? It's because of our sinful nature, right? Brokenness feels like a bad thing, like I said. But in many ways, brokenness is a really good thing because it's how God gets everybody's attention. It makes us recognize our need for Him. We, we, when we feel broken and everything's a mess inside of us and life feels like it's falling apart, we know that something needs to change. We really do. Then we draw, excuse me, another circle stating that there's good news, which is really what the the word gospel means, good news. That God sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die the death that we deserve, and to be raised from dead again, the dead again, right? To raise to life again. Proving he is who he is, and he, he he, he, he can do what he says he can do, right? Jesus came to forgive our sins, to heal our brokenness, to reconcile us with the Father. Then we draw an arrow to that circle from the second, and we state that the biblical word for change is repent, which is just a, a, a Christian-y word that means to turn around, to turn away from one thing and turn towards another thing, right? So brokenness is what gets, uh, gets us ready to give God's solution a try in Christ, which is to repent and believe the gospel. And when we realize that change, the change we really need comes from Jesus, then we turn to and place our trust and our belief in Him. It's as simple as that, right? Then we draw an arrow uh, from that to the first circle, and we state that when we, we repent and believe in Him, He gives us His Spirit who helps us to recover and pursue God's design for our lives. And then Jesus sends us back out into a broken world to tell others how to find their way out of brokenness as well. And that's it. That's how you do it. Now again, and it, now that's going to be in your own words, you know, but the principal points need to be in there, right? And again, today, we're going to practice it again. You should have gotten a napkin when you came in. I hope you did. If you didn't, go back to the back, back there and grab a napkin. And I want you to push again through the awkward. We don't normally do this in church, but we're doing this for a very good reason. We want to push past the awkward. We want to grab somebody close to us. 
and we want to use our napkin to walk through this diagram as if they were a friend that we were sharing the gospel with. Again, remember that we're using napkins so that we can remind ourselves that it, this is very easily done over a meal with a friend someplace, right? So draw it out as I've explained it, uh, each step as I have, and then switch and allow the other person to do it. Now remember, if you've downloaded the Three Circles app to your, I, your phone already, and you want to use that, that's awesome. You can use that. It has verses in it, which I think is very important to use. You can use those verses in there. And uh, I'll go ahead and I'll give you a few minutes right now to do this. All right, so grab a friend next to you and practice away. This, this room should be filled with chatter. <laughs> Okay, start wrapping it up. Um, I want to point out that uh, the first week of December, you know, we've been asking everybody to be praying for people uh, that they want to invite to Alpha. And uh, we want to make this a, a church event <clears throat> that, that we come and we bring friends with us and we attend all the all the Alpha things with them the, for two reasons. One is that it's a great course that you can um, learn stuff again from, but it's also, you know, if you're going to invite somebody, you want to be there with them, right? And, uh, and we, we also want people in our church to experience Alpha so that when we do it again the next year, we know what we're promoting, right? So you're familiar with it and you can get into it. Now, on the first weekend of December, uh, during that church service, I'm going to hand you three things. I'm going to hand you a try-praying card, right? And it just basically says, every day over 175 million Americans pray. Did you know that prayer is just a conversation with God about anything that concerns you? What about you? 6-8 Vineyard Church encourage you to give prayer a chance. Don't know how to start? Here's something to help you. And then just basically some information about us and when we meet and they can show up. And then you get this little booklet. And it, it basically, uh, I think it's challenging people to pray for seven days. Just pray about different things and, you know, um, whatever. So it has day one, day two, day three. I thought that was brilliant. Just get people to sit down and have a conversation with God. I mean, there are people out there we know that are having questions. We said last week or the week before that f they say that 57% of Americans want to understand how to have deeper, greater purpose in life. They're thinking about these things. So get them to ask God about it, and God will answer them, right? And so th that, that'll be stuck in your little book, right? That one card will be stuck in your little book. And then we're going to give you uh, an invitation to the Alpha Course, all right? So you can... Take only three of these and hand them to the three people that you've been praying about, or you can take more of them. I think I have 500. <laughs> so you can, you can hand them to as many people as you want. You can leave them in bathrooms at restaurants. I don't care. You know, whatever you want to do. But, you know, I, I know that some of this is a little nerve-wracking for people. Do what you can do. Push yourself a little bit farther each time to do a little bit more. Because we 
desire every resident of our community to not only have one chance to hear the gospel and, re- and, and to, to respond to Christ, but numerous chances. And so that's why we're training ourselves to go and to tell them with this simple model and inviting them to things like Alpha and, and stuff like that. But here's what I don't want you to do. I do not want you to leave these three weeks as just the last sermon series passed, right? Don't just leave it as the last one that's passed. Use this, practice this, share this, and maybe we'll you know, bring up other opportunities to practice it together again in the future. But God has given us a mission. He is very clear. You know, everybody's like, what's the mission of the church, man? It's very clear. We don't need to go searching. We know where it is. We know what it's about. We, we leaders in the church preach it. So it's right there. And we, we want to be faithful to carry that mission out because that is God's mission. So let's choose to help God repair those who still are spiritually broken. Let's bring the gospel to, to them. So my challenge to you this week is the same as it's been for the past two weeks. You, this week, practice this with three different people than you've practiced in the, with in the past. All right? Three different people. Now, the first week, I said you can practice it with Christians, and that's wonderful because, you know, it kind of takes your nerves away, but you, you can also train other Christians to do this, right? But if you could use one of those or make one of those people a non-believer. Last week, I said the same thing and said, if you can do it with three different people and they have to be Christians, that's fine. But if you can, make two of them non-believers. So this week, three different people. And if you can, make them all non-believers. But I do not want you to feel guilty if you just need more practice with other Christians. All right. Practice, 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 practice. You know, if you were an NBA player, you would shoot baskets, shoot baskets, shoot baskets for hours so that you could do it under pressure. And that's what we're doing, right? Um, uh, And if there's anything that happens from this, if you have any great conversations, if you have any wonderful experiences, by all means, email me. I would love to hear it so we can share that together. All right? Amen. Now, I would love for you guys to stand. We're going to